0: You could use this same methodology to visualize these ideas that are more universally understood. That's where visualized values started to take shape. It's like, okay, now we can have a uniform aesthetic and then throw all these ideas at it and translate them into these visuals. Originally, it was to attract clients, but then kind of spiraled into a different thing where people got more and more interested in it.
1: Welcome to another episode of Hype Fury Presents. In this episode, I talk to Jack Butcher. Jack is the owner of Visualize Value, where he helps businesses visualize what they do so customers better understand the value they bring. In this episode, you'll find out exactly how to create visually appealing tweets and how to find your own voice. My name is Yannick, one of the co-founders here at Hype Fury and I hope you enjoy the show.
0: So Visualize Value is actually probably 18 months after starting the business. So the business was originally not a carbon copy of the agencies that I've been a part of, but definitely like a lot of similarities, you know, just doing client work and kind of filling the holes that they didn't have internally. So nothing particularly specific about the work I was doing. So that just got after three, or three to six months of that I was like completely ruined, just burned out totally. So that's where Visualize Value came from as like a way to focus the efforts and start to create work that would attract the type of people that I uh, want to work with and kind of seed the type of work that I would produce as well as opposed to just being like a solution for anybody that has some form of creative problem to solve.
1: Did you immediately think of you know, I'm I'm also gonna show my work on Twitter and Instagram or how did that go?
0: So Twitter was actually, I think I signed up for Twitter in 2010 or something and never really went back to it. When I first started my agency, I was messing around with Facebook and it's just, I just had a much smaller network there and a lot of people that I'd grown up with. And, you know, you just have like this legacy network of people that aren't particularly interested in what you're doing professionally and it was just a weird like you know when you have your own business it's like it feels irresponsible to not promote it but the only network or the only platform that i'd really considered at least until maybe a year in was just facebook and um, twitter i just I, i can't even remember how i discovered when the light bulb went off that this would be a much better network to publish work and find the types of people i think it was maybe just discovering or reading something that was referenced back to Twitter. And I was like, wow, it's amazing that there are this many people that are giving away this quality thinking yeah. on Twitter. I should probably get in on this.
1: It wasn't like, hey, I'm, I'm seeing more engagement or anything like that. It was just, it's an interesting platform. I should be on there.
0: Yeah, I think it was honestly like Facebook was, again, just this network of people that were, it was either like I'd got into like a few entrepreneurship circles on Facebook, but it was all very like, direct response, pitchy, like classified ads section, basically. It's not like this environment where you're actually learning a ton and connecting with people that can actually expose you to different ideas. It was more just like a peer group of people that sort of end up selling to each other, it felt like. And LinkedIn, it's kind of the same problem for me because I'd been in a corporate job for eight years or so. So everybody I was connected to on LinkedIn was still working full time or working in traditional agency setup, So the things that I was posting weren't necessarily resonating with the people that I'd built relationships with over time, because I was in a completely different headspace and trying to build a business from scratch when the people that are reading what you're writing are all clocking in on the nine to five for the most part. And Twitter is the opposite of both of those things, which is cool.
1: Did you immediately start to also post like the visuals on Instagram, obviously, but on Twitter, did you see a difference or when did you start doing
0: that? So Twitter was the first platform I started experimenting with visualized value on based on the fact that... On the first round of visuals, I was really like collecting ideas from people that had already shared them on Twitter. So I had this like now in um, hindsight, this idea of reverse influence. So finding people that have already had their ideas validated, and then adding some context to those ideas, illustrating those ideas and sharing them back out and being able to put them in front of the people that coined them in the first place. I think that created a decent amount of traction because you know, the few retweets that happen over the course of a few months really can expose what you're doing to so many more people. And that's when it started to attract more and more people. And I actually started Instagram, maybe three or four months after I was on Twitter, which seemed like the Reverse would be true because a visual platform, but the ability to reach the types of people that this stuff resonates with feels like Twitter, you get more traction. The numbers on both profiles would actually tell a different story if you just looked at it from a really high level, like the the audience grows faster on Instagram, but the um, amount of people that actually either like buy a product or spend longer with the brand all coming from Twitter for the most part. So it just feels like there's a lot of overlap in the types of people that are interested in this stuff on Twitter more so than Instagram. So
1: you have like uh, 71,000 followers on Instagram, uh, 54,000 on Twitter. And so it's really interesting to see that. Sh- so what you're basically saying is is like a more of a, a consumption a base on Instagram. They like my tweets, they sometimes comment. But when it comes to monetization, Twitter is a, is a lot more interesting.
0: Yeah, it seems that way. And again, maybe content, it may also be the way I work and the way like the tools are set up to work with both Instagram is pretty clunky to push things out frequently and that that really tiny bit of friction in the process of converting the image to the right size and then going on like some creator app on Facebook to post it and then you're not in the native environment where the thing lives it's just like these little things and for a long time I was doing like airdrop to the phone then post from the phone I think Again, it's like that workflow has had a big impact on me not even exploring what the possibilities are on Instagram. So I have a couple of friends that do really well on Instagram. But for whatever reason, Twitter just feels like way more, um, I do know, the environment of Twitter just feels easier to connect with people faster for whatever reason.
1: I'm seeing uh, like a little bit of a difference between what you post on Instagram and Twitter. There's not a big difference, but I see some different visual. What's your thought process behind that?
0: So, interestingly enough, I think maybe the like my instinct of what the ideas that are being discussed on Twitter are more nuanced, or the audience has been built around a couple of core concepts that either I'm talking about on my personal Twitter, and I don't feel like that level of context and detail is there on Instagram a lot of the time. So, the more nuanced things that I feel would need a bit more of, um, context for someone to really get the most from. They just don't make it onto Instagram. They're more like self-contained ideas, if that makes sense.
1: And so you started posting on Twitter, took, you know, existing concepts from you could call them platitudes, but at least you you created a new dimension from, you know, things everybody knows, but you created a visual appealing way of doing that. When was the moment that you thought, hey, this is resonating. I'm creating these images. Mm -hmm. When did you take the next step?
0: so that moment of the story is actually kind of before the brand visualized value was a thing it was really like part of the process that i had been refining in the like service business so when i was running the agency a lot of the work that we sold was all dependent on our ability to pitch so we would create these elaborate pdfs with here's a visual articulation of the market you're entering, or here's how this campaign is gonna reach this person, or here's why this product is important to this person. So conveying those strategies visually was something that was resonating with clients when we are running a service business. And I posted a few of those up, and they weren't like specific, they weren't called Visualize Value back then, they didn't have the same aesthetic, they were all different, but they were essentially you know, making ideas tangible and visible. I just got a few messages from people. This was, I think, when I was posting stuff on Facebook and LinkedIn, a few messages from people who ran businesses that were like, I think I could really benefit from visualizing some of the ideas that I use to sell my services or talk about my product. And that's how like, this specificity started to reveal itself that it revealed that there's an opportunity to to work this specifically and still like give a ton of value to people more value in fact than just being a sort of one size fits all creative shop so did a few client engagements where we would just spend a few hours on the phone with someone and really understand their business and all the intellectual property that they would built up over the years that you know when they walk into a room and try and explain what they do it doesn't all come across to the person they're talking to so we give them these Visuals to help tell that story in a more compelling way, and then visualized value basically became a device to attract those types of people to the service side of the business. And then um, the initial few versions of that were all really specific to like supply chain companies or you know digital marketing, t- customer acquisition methodologies, and things that are just like generally really niche. And they're not universally interesting enough to build a following around necessarily that isn't like hyper, hyper niche, like graphic designers looking to do exactly what you want to do. So the idea kind of came to me was like, well, well, maybe you could use this same methodology to visualize these ideas that are more universally applicable, leverageable, understood. And that's where like visualized values started to take shape. It's like, okay, now we can have a uniform aesthetic and then throw all these ideas at it and translate them into these visuals. Originally, it was it was to attract clients, but then kind of spiraled into a different thing after a period of time where people got more and more interested in it.
1: And so people started reaching out and said, hey, this is really interesting. I'd like this for my own brand. Was that the the moment that you did consultancy-based visualized value sprints? Mm-hmm. Can I say that?
0: Or- yep, yep it kind of refined itself over the course of probably 6 months so initially we it was structured way more like the old agency work that we did where it was kind of you know we're going to work as a partner and whatever you need we can visualize and then it's you know it's got more and more structure over the course of the last year or so now where we can do this stuff in a couple of days and just run through these very specific tasks and design sprint to get these assets together really quickly for people so that's the fun side of the business but obviously there's a there's a limit to how many of those you can do at any one time but it really does help you kind of keep the craft sharp and meet interesting people it's cool
1: was that limit also the moment you said hey i'm gonna go from consultancy based to yeah productization
0: yeah so when i was doing the work as a consultant there are certain things in that process even where you kind of realize that you could build systems to replace the work you're doing manually in a lot of those cases there's obviously that final output and the organic component of the conversation you have but there's so much to the process that is there are like patterns that depict universal things that are common across a lot of businesses regardless of what industry they're in so there are certain things that can be productized as it were and uh, smooth out that process it's kind of like you can productize the b2b side of it somewhat and then there's also people that want to learn how to do this so there's products that we've built on that side as well
1: what was your thought process behind creating all those products Is it some people have different budgets, some people have different needs? How did you create, you know, you have the yearly membership, the community membership for $99, but you also have the bespoke trust profile, which is 3K. So that's Mm -hmm. two different ends.
0: Yeah. So the community product was a fairly organic process. It like evolved from what was once just this planner PDF and became a much more robust offering with a community and like weekly calls and like a structured process around it. But originally, it was just a planner. And that came about as just a result of asking questions to the people that had signed up for or well not signed up subscribe to the social profiles. So Instagram actually was really useful in that part of the process. And Twitter would have been as well. I just didn't use it for this. But asking people what they struggled with. So you kind of built this audience around these ideas and have people invested in, you know, this story that is made up of all of these different ideas that have been brought together and it attracts a certain type of person, type of person that values those ideas, and then asking them, like, what are you currently struggling with? What are the biggest challenges you're facing on a daily basis? Loads of people come back struggling to, like, put structure around my day, I'm procrastinating, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a couple tools that I was using when I was running my agency that were all specific to planning time in 90-day sprints. I was like, oh, I could just make this available to people. And it went fairly well, got a couple hundred people to pay for it, and then built a community around that tool. Because I think this is, you know, in hindsight, I didn't have all of this insight when we came up with this strategy. But in hindsight, the fact that everybody was using the same tool made it really easy to build a community around something, you know? building a community around a abstract idea is a little more difficult than saying you know how are you using this tool to achieve x i think you guys just launched something on your app right a community specific to hype fury which is a very similar idea it's like everybody's using hype fury so there's always going to be something to talk about and there's this unifying thing that sits at the bottom of the discussion so i think that works well It's an
1: interesting angle because, you know, you see a lot of businesses say, hey, I want to create the new Facebook or the new Twitter, but that's almost impossible to do. But what's interesting, the angle is if we can create a community around, you know, a single small goal or purpose or or whatever, that's something you can expand. A hundred percent. So you had a couple of hundred people use your planner. You went through tactics, how to plan their days, their sprints. When did you decide, hey, I'm going to build a community model out of this?
0: I actually flipped around a bunch of different platforms. So originally, it was just like a free add on to the people that had bought that thing. So I go into Shopify, just extract the list of emails that had bought this thing and then say, hey, if you're interested, I think it's a WhatsApp group I started with, like jump in the WhatsApp group. And then uh, it was like Telegram. And then it was Discord. And it finally ended up being Slack, just because a bunch of people already have slack open on their machines and you can create channels and all of that kind of stuff and it just like kind of increased infidelity over time it was never really this like x is launching and it's going to be amazing everybody sign up it was really like continuing and we're still evolving it now it's like we've added since the inception of it evolved from this whatsapp group of just pure chaos right people trying to keep up with a message it's 25 things above where they last left off to a slack workspace that's organized by channel and we have a mighty networks platform which hosts content specific to people that are either building a business online or trying to create more content consistently and then we have weekly calls where we go into like a bunch of organic questions and things like that so by no means is it a finished product, but it is like, you know, everybody's kind of coalesced around this idea of, for the most part, like building independent income and putting themselves out there online, productizing themselves in adverted commerce. So yeah, we'll continue to evolve along those lines, whatever makes it uh, easiest to achieve those things.
1: Let's um, pivot a little bit towards, you know, the design angle of what you're doing. So I asked a question on Twitter, you know, what question would you like me to ask jack and a bunch of people asked things related to what are your daily routines time management source of inspiration can you elaborate a bit on on that you've been designing for 10 years i saw you on a youtube video with david perel where you did like a live design thing probably not everybody can do that when when you start out designing but walk us a little bit through how how that process goes and and yeah how you create things
0: Yeah, sure. I think this is maybe true for a lot of people. It's like the beginning of the pursuit is like pure reps, right? It's just like putting in as many reps as you possibly can. Like when I was at university, when I first started my first few jobs as a designer, it was like, I always remember the first exchange I had or the nature of the exchanges I had with my first boss was like I would bring work to him. It's like it's not good enough. Go and do it again. Bring it back. I'm incredibly grateful for that experience because over time you begin to not even present work that isn't ready to be presented. So going through the sort of the motions of like forcing yourself to get better in a commercial context, like I attribute so much of my growth to being in that environment, working for other people, honestly, in the early stages of my career, because i think someone else is paying you to do something then you do it so uh that was the first 5 to however many years when i was just like pure show up every day get on the computer design for 8 hours some days it was it was a crazy um worked some big agencies before a lot of the tools of today existed in the design context and you know people that learned design before me it was an even more manual process like designing every single breakpoint for a a website with like 85 different page constructs it was nowhere near as efficient as it is now so i think it's easy to forget a lot of that stuff but pure repetition in the early stages and then um i think the thing that flipped visualized value into something that can be produced all of the time and something that i'm like constantly interested in going back to is material that i'm genuinely curious about and it's a lot of the ideas that make it into the visualized value process are things that i've either like used or i've learned an incredible amount from and i think that that's all a product of growing a business myself so it's kind of being able to validate how useful these ideas are in the context of actually building a business it makes it that much more easier to sift through and sort through the things that are worth publishing that way. So finding the inspiration is often like a product of hitting a stumbling block in my work. And, you know, finding somebody who's been through that thing and has written about it, and then something really resonates. So how can I preserve that idea and visualize value gives a gives me a way to do that and put it back out in a a consistent manner and there's another topic that I think drives a lot of the ability to produce consistently is this idea of creative constraint and you know if you've seen visualized value then it's it's a there is no color palette it's black and white there's one font there's one image style it's all vector shapes and those constraints really force you to be creative and I think that's a huge part of sustaining creative projects is imposing some restriction on yourself because it's very easy to just stare at a blank page forever as opposed to having a set of rules that make the creative challenge for you. So if you were now to throw an idea at me, I wouldn't have to spend three hours thinking about the stylistic decisions that need to be made. Just go straight in and use the restraint that was already in place to articulate it.
1: Yeah, and is that also something you create when people you know buy the bespoke trust profile?
0: Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of that comes from my agency background and spend a lot of time working with brands and just trying to make recognizable things. So I think a lot of um, creatives in particular really struggle with like trying to reinvent the wheel, at least visually trying to reinvent the wheel. And um, I think what's more important, honestly, as a writer, as a designer, as whoever is like, the strength of the idea is far more important than the aesthetic. Both play a huge role, of course, but if you can think more cleanly as a designer, then the aesthetic is kind of secondary. So what I'm trying to do with a lot of my work is, yeah, we can make decisions about like what typeface you're going to use and what color palette you're going to use, but what's really going to make what you put out as content compelling is the quality of the idea. So that's something that... It's kind of hard to sell into a lot of people because they think that, you know, they constantly have to keep people interested visually. So they're always switching it up. But you actually lose a fair bit of equity by doing that because the way your work gets recognized consistently is because you have these very simple restraints that people recognize. You're trying to interrupt as like a pattern Interrupt on a newsfeed in social is uh, like why not build on that same aesthetic that you've already started to invest in
1: how can people build their own visual identity without using the black and
0: white visualized value identity so i think there's a number of ways i don't think that everything has to come down to that diagrammatic aesthetic either i think there's very few limits to what can be like visualized conceptually genuinely not a huge issue to me to see the like aesthetic being emulated. It definitely happens every day. It's kind of like you can't really have a monopoly on words, right like I believe in the power of visual communication to the extent that like if it helps you communicate your idea, you should use it. But I think maybe more of the identity comes from the content and the message than. Or not more, but there's a huge influence in terms of like what the content is as opposed to what it looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it
1: does. Also, something I've, I've been noticing is that, you know, more and more people are mimicking, I, I don't know if you can call it the VV identity, but I've seen more and more people use the same visualization technique. So... It's probably as a first mover, mm-hmm. you know, you can probably stay above the crowd, but probably people who are coming after you, they'll have a lot harder time to create their own identity and stand out. What, what, what would you advise them?
0: Yeah, I would say it's not necessarily about creating graphic content. I think it's about finding a format that you can consistently produce because the idea that just by copying an aesthetic, you're going to leapfrog somebody that has, you know, a decade of experience producing ideas visually and being able to articulate this stuff. It's kind of a waste of time to base your entire progress off of that idea. I think there are things that you can leverage from that and learn from that while still creating something that's unique. Yeah, I like to think about it in terms of format, whether that's like video, writing, image, audio, all of the most successful media operations or content brands have these consistent formats. Within them, the content changes, but the format is like the guardrails that sit around it. So maybe you produce like 90 second videos on X, right? Recipes, I don't know. But there are specific constraints that you can set that kind of primes your audience to what they can expect from you. And I think you can work in whatever creative language you're most um, comfortable with within that. I think one of the things that created traction for visualized value was that the format remained the same, but the idea within it changed. There's great brands like Morning Brew, The Hustle, those guys, Like they have a format. The content is always different, but their format is so compelling and so well-structured. And you know the people that write that format are very comfortable doing so and very good at it. And that's what drives the brand. The content drives the brand, but the format is the recognizability that underlies that. And I think everybody can do that differently. And you should lean into the things that you can produce consistently and that you're excited about producing consistently to find that format, as opposed to seeing what's working for someone and sort of emulating the last frame of it and hoping that you can sustain it. Because in a lot of the cases I've seen where the entire strategy of visualized value has been co-opted, then you know, it lasts a couple of weeks and then it falls off because it's all of the experiences you have prior to that that are fueling the quality of the output, not just your ability to emulate something. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I think a lot of people are looking for ways to find their voice, whether that's literally visualizing or text-based or video or whatever. What kind of techniques or, or strategies do you have for people to come up with their constraints?
0: I have a document that you could probably throw in the show notes, which is about how you can combine your interests and look for like correlation and combine um, different elements of both your experience and your interests to sort of generate these new combinations and think of ways to put your unique spin on a combination of things that you're interested in. I think that's created breakthroughs for people, at least in uh, in the visualized value community. And then going back to the referencing the format like thinking about what medium or what format most excites you to work in and and introduces the least amount of friction there's definitely an argument for like sort of pushing through the uh brutal process of like getting better at a craft but there's also this like unquantifiable like are you actually interested in this medium do you want to become a better Writer, designer, speaker, presenter, or are you doing it because somebody's telling you that you have to, in inverted commas, find your voice? So there's a decent amount of intuition in there. I don't want to say that there's like a methodology for coming up with that guaranteed, but experimentation is a huge part of it. Before I stumbled on Visualise Value, I was doing all sorts of stuff. I was completely uncomfortable with and could never have sustained because I wasn't interested in it or I saw it as a potential commercial opportunity but not necessarily something that I'm driven by on some irrational level
1: Mm. and whenever people decide on experimenting trying new things finding their constraints or their voice people always have the idea you know I'm I'm just an imposter they have the imposter syndrome I don't want to post this what are things you'd like to say or mention that you've tried before that help people to get over that
0: yeah i mean i think about it in a couple of ways once you've kind of comfortable with the fact that if you don't figure this out on your own then you just have to kind of go and ask for somebody else's permission to go and you know work for someone else get paid by someone else like i find putting that in perspective is always helpful for me like you know, what's the downside here, I potentially publish something that I'm not 100% proud of, or isn't received well, versus like, I resign to the fact that I'm going to be told what to do forever. Like that's an easy risk calculation in my mind to just uh, go out there and see what resonates like in the same way that you experiment with anything else. Like, I think people get their emotions far too tied up. In that stuff and I've gone through over the course of the last three or four years like slowly expanding outside of your personal network I think there's way too much emphasis on you know the network that you accrue naturally as just being born into a certain place going to a certain school etc cetera, etc cetera. like the expectation is for people that whatever you're doing is going to resonate with those people that are just part of your network naturally and so much of what I've learned is like you have to completely abandon that idea because it's going to just keep you on the starting block forever. The The chances that the people that you're just naturally born around are like the biggest advocates and the most interested in the things that you're interested in is just a ludicrous notion, especially now like everybody's like building their own like media diet on a phone or a laptop or whatever else. Like the, the people you're standing next to, probably have a completely different worldview from you because you know they're consuming different things than you are they have a completely different set of inputs so the imposter syndrome is just the process or the amount of time it takes you to find the people that believe the same things you do or are interested in the same things that you do i think everybody experiences it to some extent uh, no matter how far along you get but um yeah, those are a couple ideas that I've had about it over the course of just finding some traction myself. Yeah, it's just a, it's like a risk reward calculation at its most basic.
1: Yeah, let's say you you start you don't have any um, social media profiles at the moment. Yep. Let's say you start a new Twitter profile day one. What would you do to grow an audience or to? You know?
0: Yeah. So I would like going back to the format. Idea. I would like think in terms of projects. So whether you want to do that on time basis, or like a number of asset basis, in the same way that you're assigned projects at school or college or whatever else, commit to producing a series of assets that communicate something. So you're creating work that regardless of who consumes it is making you better as a communicator or helping you understand a subject at a deeper level. There's really nothing to lose by doing that work in public. And obviously on a network like Twitter, you can find the people that are exploring ideas Either similar or ideas that orbit the things that you're exploring and pull them into that conversation in an elegant way, right? I think pe- a lot of people do this really badly, the equivalent of a spam email, right? You aren't including people in the conversation in a thoughtful way. You're just trying to leverage their platform to get some reach. And I think people get smarter and smarter and smarter at detecting that. It's about producing proof of work, exploring ideas, making content that is furthering the understanding of an idea or just genuinely producing things that people can learn from. And I mean, honestly, there are probably people out there that are producing amazing things that have never been discovered. But for the most part, I think if you keep creating that stuff and you get the attention of the right people, if you're creating things that resonate and uh, the people who are exploring the same ideas as you see it, then the traction happens like it's it's happening every day. It's definitely uh, something that Twitter has really enabled beyond I think a lot of other platforms where you know people kind of publish into the void for months and months and months years years in some cases.
1: What are some of your daily routines to visualize value you know, uh, what do you do on Twitter what do you do for your consultancy part the productization part what do that
0: so over time my calendar and this has been my goal since the beginning since uh starting the agency three years or so ago like my calendar back then was you know eight in the morning till nine at night booked with stuff was client calls or blocks of work or revising uh, an asset or whatever it was just like complete madness and on top of that you have you know if you get an email from a client that wants something you know you, it just blows everything up so over the course of the last three years, like my goal is to have literally nothing on my calendar. I know this is on my calendar, but uh, there's a few moments in the week where I have uh, a couple of consulting clients at the moment and do sprints two afternoons a week. The rest of the calendar is pretty much completely clear. Visualized value is, I think, on the production side of things, probably like three or four hours a week here and there and so much of it is very when inspiration strikes a lot of the time. I think early on I could sit in and grind out and put 20-30 assets together when I was really trying to get it off the ground and now I kind of have the luxury of sitting and thinking on what's going to resonate now that I have a better understanding of what people like and just like do a lot of the work in my head now, as opposed to sitting in front of a computer and just trying to bang out content. And then I found way more time and interest in writing on my personal account as well. I think that's taken over a lot of the creative energy of the day. First thing in the morning, like go for a walk, take the phone with you, just bust out a notes file of just ideas. Well, there's probably some neuroscience behind this. First thing in the morning, brains firing on all cylinders try and get all of your creative work done in the first couple hours and then any administrative stuff can all be done after you've used up all the good stuff
1: you spend about three four hours a week on asset creation but you still churn out at least one or two some days i see three four five posts on twitter how does that work
0: so uh, when i say asset create i mean like in the program making the asset itself so like the hands-on mouse time videos yeah yeah so i think yeah three to four hours is literally the amount of the time that's being spent on the mouse like drawing the shapes but a lot of the work i think is happening mentally while you sit there in you know and uh, come up with these different visualizations mentally or ideas mentally and uh, yeah i'm definitely guilty of spending too much time on twitter try to limit the amount of reading I do on there and just produce notes. But I work much better in sprint format than having an allocated amount of time in the day for one thing or another. When I was building my agency and when I was first building Visualize Value, it was all hyper structured. Hour by hour, this is what I'm going to do. But based on the system that I built for Visualize Value, it's called the Daily Manifest. I followed that religiously. And over time, as this thing has grown i've stepped into the moments in time where the, when creative energy happens it's like just capitalize on it as best you can uh that's been i think key in getting the volume up over time Is just uh clearing the calendar to the point where if you get on a streak with writing just keep 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 writing until you run out of ideas
1: those assets you create do you extract from those assets to create your your Twitter posts? How does that work?
0: Yeah, so I think there's like a couple things going on. One is there's like a lot of ideas that surround an idea. So if you visualize something, there's a subject in there or like a topic in there that can be further unpacked. And then I think the way my brain works is as I'm trying to figure out how to visualize an idea, there are all these other ways to articulate that same idea or an idea similar to it or an idea that supports it because you're doing all of that mental labor to figure out like what is the actual logic or the story that underlies this concept i think that just activates a lot of i don't know again no education on how the brain works formally but there are things that just surface as a result of trying to figure something out visually that i think really fuels more production and again like going back to that idea of having constraint is like really forces you to be creative within those constraints and twitter i think is a great example of that as well regardless of visuals or whatever else like how do you communicate something in so little space with so few characters how can you create something that how can you write something that transfers an idea into somebody else's head and gets them thinking about something as well so i think for the people who aren't designers or aren't visually inclined those same constraint is baked into twitter and i think that's why you see a lot of great writers emerge after iterating on twitter in public
1: let's say um, we take the procrastination versus perfection idea i see a couple of tweets about that do you create them all in the same time and then you just post them in the weeks after or do you also just come back to that idea and create new things
0: i have to admit i wish i had more discipline to batch up the assets over time I have like maybe a couple in the chamber on a good day to last till the next day or the day after. But I think so much of the energy and creativity comes from not making it as mechanical of a process as it could be. Again, that may be like a mental barrier that I'm inventing for myself. But so much, I think, of the energy for me comes from the fact that I don't have anything ready to go. If that makes sense, like I need to make something in order to post it. So for the most part, this stuff is happening in real time and uh just make it post it yeah then i've got to force myself to create again i have to give a shout out to what you guys have built as well because i think on the writing side of things I kind of load a day's worth of tweets into Hype Fury. And my objective for so long has been to get in a place where I could just do that consistently. And I oscillate between the two. Like if I can get into one of those writing streaks and like populate a couple of days worth, it's like hitting the lottery. But sometimes it comes completely sporadically. So just having that tool there is definitely incentive to continue to create. And, you, and it's just so surprising how fast that stuff just gets eaten up. And to be that prolific of a writer is a full-time job in itself.
1: Yeah, it's hard to keep grinding out new things. What kind of hooks do you use to create tweets? What are inspiration sources for you?
0: Um, I think, honestly, definitely visualized value, I think has been a little bit of a hack in that respect where I'm trying to evaluate ideas based on their ability to be visualized. And I think that is kind of a filter that creates a restraint on both the ideas that get put through the visualized value treatment and just the things that I will end up writing if that makes sense so trying to bake this like very structured logic into tweets the paradox idea or the you know before and after like this idea of transformation as a theme that underlies writing i think is happening subconsciously there's probably a lot more thought to be given to that and you could probably add a lot more specificity to all of the different transitions that are happening in the writing or the different like constructs you can use to make writing interesting but I think yeah a lot of it has that you know could I draw this idea is definitely something that's sort of driving I think the creative process even when it's not being drawn initially and if something resonates that i'd written then that kind of goes into the queue to be visualized i'm trying to over time move the content that's being visualized to original thoughts so what grew it in the first place i think on a network like twitter if you can catch the attention of people and and give value Add context to already great ideas, then you will be recognized for that, but over the long term, obviously you want to create net new value and that's the objective
1: last question, jack Butcher, where are you in three years' time? What will you do
0: I mean it's such a nutty question, I think just based on the uh, direction of the world I guess one thought I have is I don't know I think there's a couple of ideas I have around digital product in a more scalable format than i'm currently building in i think all of the things that i'm learning as a result of creating content at speed and scale i think there are tools that can really help people dig in and answer the question basically the conversation we've had today i think there's a huge gap for so many people that have incredible experience great expertise that really struggle to make a name for themselves, and really communicate their value. So continuing to build things that help people get to that insight is definitely where my head's at. How that manifests itself exactly, what format or what form that takes is kind of up for debate. But just having fun, man, just keeping doing the stuff that's enjoyable and follow the curiosity, really. I can't claim to have like a crystallized five-year plan or anything like that.
1: It definitely sounds exciting. And I think a lot of people can benefit from finding ways to articulate what they're good at and uh, finding their constraints. I think that's a really important lesson for for me, at least, from uh, this conversation. Thank you very much, Jack. And people can find you, I think, at at Jack Butcher on Twitter and at Visualize Value, both on uh, Twitter and Instagram.
0: That's right. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Jack. Thanks. That's a wrap on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Hype Fury Presents, because next week we'll talk to Well Paid Geek. He's a developer who's been on Twitter for less than two years and has already grown his following to over 40,000. In that episode, you'll learn how to grow your audience in any industry, just like him, and how to create $1, a $1,000 a month side income. Also, don't forget to leave an iTunes review. As a new podcast, we rely on them heavily, and you'd do me a great favor if you left a review for our show.